Hello, and welcome to the Development and Justice Podcast from the studios at Multnomah University in Portland, Oregon. This is Dr. Greg Birch, and I have the honor of hosting this unique podcast where we engage in faith-based discussions with thought leaders and practitioners who are really wrestling with the complexities of Christian action across the nexus of justice, development, and peace-building work. My role here at Multnomah is directing the graduate program in Global Development and Justice. You can find out more about our program by visiting us at multnomah.edu slash M-A-G-D-J. MAGDJ, that's our acronym. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent our host institution, Multnomah University. Thank you, Multnomah. And thanks for listening in on the podcast today. We're grateful that you are here joining us. Jason Faleta, welcome to the Development and Justice Podcast. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here, Greg. Thanks for asking me. Uh, thanks for taking the time to join us. Uh, and just a quick introduction on Jason and his background. Jason was involved with Micah Challenge USA in a number of different roles. In fact, that's when I kind of got to know you a little bit, was with you or uh, with Micah Challenge, including the role as Executive Director from 2005 to 2018. Micah Challenge is a global movement of churches and organizations holding leaders accountable to their promises to combat poverty and injustice. And he was also um, in the work of advocating to high-level delegations from over 40 nations, founded and served as the first executive director of the Micah Institute at the New York Theological Seminary, and was a contributor and editor of the book Live Justly. Live Justly is a book that has been used by over 250,000 people around the world. He now serves as Vice President of Engagement with Tier Fund USA. Tier Fund is a global community of organizations that partners with churches in more than 50 of the world's poorest countries with efforts to tackle poverty and injustice through sustainable development. I'm sure we'll get to hear a little bit more about the work of Tier Fund from you, Jason. Okay, Definitely. I have to admit, Jason. Mm-hmm. Let's go back 10 years now. I was okay. living in Costa Rica, and, and as the opportunity opened up for me to uh, come to Multnomah and be a part of the Global Development and Justice degree program, I started looking for kindred spirits. Mm-hmm. I got online. I started Googling organizations and people, and I came across Micah Challenge and you. Um, in fact, I remember sitting at my computer and thinking, I sure hope I get the chance to work with people like Jason one day. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so That's I was really kind cool. of stalking you on Google way before we even met. Man. Oh, that's great to hear. <laughs> uh, no, really though. Um, thanks for letting me hang out with you and, and for, for the opportunity to, for our students to learn from you as well. I, we've had a number of students intern with you when you were at Micah mm-hmm. Challenge and it's just been honestly a joy for me to, to be able to spend time um, with with you and, and to allow our students to learn from you. Yeah, well, thank you. It's been really cool for me too. And yeah, having students intern was always great. And then my favorite thing was actually just always getting to come to class mm-hmm. completely with no agenda mm-hmm. and getting to be in this informal setting with some deep thinking students and just talk about stuff, just talk about what was on our minds and... Um, I always really appreciated that opportunity. Man, we, we, we did it almost every single year, you know, since I got yeah. to know you nine years ago. And um, I, yeah, those were fun moments. And I, I think of 
even even conferences we've had here at Multnomah where yeah, you have spoken definitely. and, and uh, Micah Challenge has been here and look forward to now that we're moving towards a more uh, new normal, right, in the world post-COVID to have you back in. Would love to. Would love <laughs> to come back. Let's jump into some questions. Okay. Um, I'm wondering if you can share a little on your vocational journey with us, your background, schooling, and, and really what led you to, to start or to be a part of Micah Challenge. Yeah. So... Going back, I was a student at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and in this is for undergrad, and I was a sociology major. I didn't even really know what sociology was. I just came in declaring I'm a sociology major. <laughs> and I, like, I think I liked the sound of it or something. It does have that ring. <laughs> um, but I, I really loved what I was studying and there were a lot of classes focused on inequality. And um, yeah, it was just a really good program for me. And I, I learned a ton about how as a Christian to engage with systemic issues, not just to see individuals suffering, but to see the, the culture, the policies, the behaviors that like lead to um, some of the problems in our world. And I also minored in international development studies. At the time, it was called third world development studies. Mm -hmm. I think they changed the name the year after I graduated. <laughs> I wonder um, why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so that was what I was, I kind of always knew I wanted to do that. And the reason was um, just growing up with uh, parents who were immigrants from Egypt, I was just very deeply aware of and connected to global issues specifically in Egypt. So I was really aware of poverty. Um, I was really aware of persecution, violence, discrimination, just things that were happening, um, particularly, as I said, in Egypt and specifically to Egyptian Christians. And so I always just felt this deep longing to respond to some of those um, problems and to have some kind of vocation that would do something, you know, I just wanted to, I felt like that's what God was calling me to do on some level. And I didn't really know what that would look like at all. And so when I was studying, um, I did a semester for my international development minor in Honduras and in Honduras, I learned, you know, took a bunch of classes with my professors there about international development studies and just, you know, different things like development theory and development in practice and the kind of things that you have your students go through. Mm -hmm. um, and I also got to visit a lot of different organizations and institutions and just get a sense of international development. And it coincided with me reading the Bible for the first time. Uh, I had grown up in a Christian home and, and all of that, but I had never really engaged with scripture one-on-one. -on -one. And it just like lit a fire in me and I really saw how God was not just redeeming me and God's story wasn't just about Jesus giving me salvation, but what that would mean for the whole of creation, even the restoration of non-humans, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, just that God's redemption was so much bigger, you know, than I had kind of always thought growing up. And that just thrilled me. And so I got back to campus. I know this is a long story. Sorry. Go for <clears> it, man. So I got back to campus and it was, I was going into my senior year 
and I just had this fire in me and just desire to um, respond to the problems I saw in the world and to do so as a North American college student. And so there was a college campus group called the Social Justice Coalition, and um, my a bunch of my friends were kind of the leaders of it. And so I got involved in that student group, and it really changed the trajectory of my life. It gave me some kind of vision because we were involved in a lot of advocacy campaigns and just raising awareness. And there was a there was a discipleship element of it because what we had to do on our campus was not just like get people to sign petitions or donate money to a great cause, but to help them see that as a follower of Jesus, this is how we ought to live. You know, this was like part of bringing glory to God. This was part of even evangelism, telling the world who Jesus is, is also um, declaring the things in this world that are not, not part of his plan, his kingdom, you know? So that's how I got to Micah Challenge. I had a taste of that and I realized I don't really want to move abroad um, and work in community development, which is maybe what I was thinking I would do. I realized I like this part of it. I like helping people open their eyes to just how beautiful and big God's work in this world is, you know, yeah. in enlisting in people in that. And so that's how I ended up at Micah Challenge. Man, I, I love what you said about um, your time in Honduras and reading scripture. You know, Andrew Kirk uh, talks about, he's a missiologist, he talks about the importance of, of listening to two voices, the voice of God and the voice of the people, those mm. that, that are on the margins mm. of our societies and, and recognizing and, and looking for ways that God is kind of bringing those two together, those mm. two voices together, and because he speaks through them. Mm. And uh, I, I love that emphasis, and it sounds like that impacted you. I, I think of the work of Henry Nowen and his, his time in Latin America and mm-hmm. how reading Scripture along with the poor uh, mm-hmm. deeply impacted him and led him into a variety of different areas, you know, outside of academia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you consider your work vocation? Uh, you know, I've thought a lot about this this issue, this question over the years, and and is that a calling in your life, or is that something you just stumbled upon? You know, when it can, when it comes to your work with Micah Challenge and now Tear Fund, um, it definitely was vocation. Um, there was no real incentives. <laughs> like, <laughs> you mean like, the paycheck? <laughs> yeah. And, and even just, you know, there were, there were years where it was just a fight to keep going. Um, there were some years where I worked other jobs in the evenings to pay myself so that during the day I could do this stuff I was so passionate about. And so it was driven completely by passion and Fundamentally, that passion was a desire to respond to what I think God had called me to do. And so much of my relationship uh, with God was worked out in trying to do this work. You know, Um, it was where I found intimacy with God and um, yeah, where I where I felt like I was doing something um in line with who God was and who he called me to be and it was by no means an accident and it was 
by no means because it was just easy. There were, like I said, there were many times where it wasn't easy to keep doing this. Um, and along the way, I had a lot of people tell me like, wow, anyone else would have left X situation or Y situation a long time ago. And for me, I'd never even considered it because I was just like, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life, you know? And whether it's at this organization or another organization, like, so be it. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And um, I've just, I feel like I've been really fortunate that I've, I'm very stubborn, really. Um, and like, that's been, that's bad in some ways, but yeah. it's been good in the sense that it, it brought me um, into having some of the opportunities I, I have. And, and now, especially at Tier Fund, like, if I hadn't had stuck with Micah Challenge as long as I had, I don't think I'd have my position at Tier Fund now. And so, you know, I don't know if students listen to this podcast or who the main audience is, but like be stubborn uh, sometimes and, and go after things and, and stick with them even when they're hard because um, they're, you know, you never know where it can lead you, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I have this this conversation with students off, often about whether or not um, – you know, work with the poor in the areas of justice and advocacy is, is a calling, is is a vocation, or is it just another career option? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I have to believe that that God is calling us into this work. And um, and I would agree with you. You know, my my background working um, with a nonprofit and different spheres and different areas has has always been challenging in terms of providing for the family and so mm-hmm. forth. And and there are certain questions, but the joy and satisfaction that comes with with being where God might have it, have mm-hmm. you, and in and someone who follows Him, and has been nothing short of joyful in many mm-hmm. ways. And yeah, tough at times too, but but joyful in the Definitely. in the deeper sense. Definitely. I wonder if we could jump in and talk a little bit about your justice and advocacy work. Um, you've been at this for a long time now, Jason. I've known you for for ten years, about, um, but I know that you've been at this much longer than that. How do you understand this, this concept of advocacy and what has been your goal as you have led in this area? Yeah. So I've really come to broaden my ideas of what advocacy is. Um, initially I learned about advocacy and was kind of shepherded by um, amazing people and organizations, but they're very focused on public policy advocacy. Um, so really looking at, policies, um, specifically like U.S. government policies and how they impact the global poor. And then us as advocates doing that analysis, that examination, and then really trying to influence some of those policy outcomes. I've broadened, over the years, I've really broadened my understanding of advocacy to be uh, the definition I think we use in Live Justly is challenging ourselves and our leaders to change attitudes, behaviors, and policies that perpetuate injustice. And um, that definition was actually worked on by myself and a bunch of people from other organizations. Uh, we all got together and we were like, let's define advocacy. Let's look at the whole the whole picture of what advocacy is. And that's what we came up with. And so I, I really actually appreciate it because it, it captures so much in a very small um, amount of words. So attitudes, well, there are things wrong in our world that are perpetuated by, by wrong attitudes or like, um, wrong beliefs. Right. 
And then there are things wrong in our world that are perpetuated by behavior. So, for example, the climate crisis is, is an example where attitudes, behavior, and policies have perpetuated the situation that we now face, which is a crisis that is largely affecting the poorest in our world the most. Um, so that's how I've come to look at advocacy is like when we try to change um, those pieces of ourselves, because it has to be inward looking as well, you know? So it's been a journey for me even to examine my own attitudes, my own behavior. Um, I'm not a public official, so I don't have policies on a grand scale, but I have like, you know, the way I live and the choices I make and things like that. And so that's how I've come to see advocacy and the relationship between advocacy and justice for me has been just so evidenced. Um, like take a situation, um, trying to think of a great example. Okay. So the, this is a great situation that you'd be familiar with, but a lot of your students are probably too young to remember, but the Jubilee debt campaign, um, yeah. which was, a large movement that really climaxed in the year 2000 um, in the name of the campaign, the Jubilee uh, campaign is taken from scripture. This idea of the year of Jubilee where debts are canceled, slaves are set free. The ownership of homes or land is given back to the original owners. All this, it's kind of like this reset button right. that God gives in the old Testament law to his people. So the Jubilee debt campaign looked at, some of the poorest nations in the world. It was like, okay, some of these nations are spending 30 to 40% of their GDP on servicing a debt to some of the richest nations in the world. And it was a debt that was often given for like under really bad terms, right? So this was money that was often lent at really astronomically high interest rates, like thousands of percents of interest or that was lent uh, to bad actors like dictators and warlords. Um, and now decades later, we're holding these nations accountable. So the example I, I always give, or at the time when I was a part of that campaign, the example I always give was South Africa, which had $15 billion of debt when Nelson Mandela came uh, to be the first um, pre uh, black president of the country and or post-apartheid. And, Nelson Mandela's government was like, okay, we're going to make good on this debt, even though we are paying back the debt of the apartheid regime. Wow. You know, they yeah. used this money to keep us in prison for decades and to do other kinds of horrific things. We're still going to pay it back because we want a AAA credit rating. Like we want a good credit score as a nation. And who doesn't want that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nations exactly. have credit scores. We all know that now. Um, <laughs> and they paid back the $15 billion of principal and four billion of interest, right? And you think, okay, great job. Like they they did that. Well, guess what? They still owed twenty nine billion because that's how high the interest rates were, and that was unjust. Because to have a nation that is trying to come out of great inequality and humanitarian crises, having to service a debt to some of the richest lenders in the world some of the largest nations or multilateral institutions was unjust. And so that was a moment where it was like, okay, to help the people of South Africa, should we respond to just perpetually like provide their healthcare and provide their food and provide all these things 
while they're spending all their own money servicing debt? Or should we get that debt canceled so they can then use their money? The state could use that money to do those things for its own citizens, right? And so that's an example of like the relationship between advocacy uh, and securing justice, in my opinion. And it's certainly never perfect. Like it's never as clean as I just described it because like the world is complex and there's a lot of variables, but it does make an impact. And there's wonderful testimonies from that campaign actually. And I just came up at the right time where that was all happening, right? As I was uh, learning about global issues and coming into adulthood. And so I got to see the impact. I got to see Zambia abolish health fees for people going to like local health clinics because of the money they now had because they weren't servicing debt. I got to see Tanzania make primary school free because they no longer had to charge uh, like tuition because they had money from no longer servicing debt. I got to see all this stuff happen on this grand scale. And so it really locked me in. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be doing this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all need those um, moments or those shining examples to yeah. really encourage us in our work, you know, and I'm wondering, uh, you know, I'm wondering if there's one campaign that you were involved with uh, that just kind of really impacted you and, where you saw um, significant action um, at work in the world. I mean, you mentioned the Jubilee campaign, but other campaigns maybe during your time at Micah Challenge. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah, so um, one of the campaigns I was involved in uh, was, it was led by Micah Challenge, but it was a large coalition, and it was focused on corruption. It was an anti-corruption and a trans like a pro-transparency campaign. And we got to see, it, it was a really interesting actually campaign because a lot of people who were like wary of advocacy um, because they didn't like the idea of like government involvement in things. And there's just a lot of negative attitudes. Like, you know, why would we involve government in, in helping the poor? Like that's not their job and this kind of stuff. So a lot of people who are wary of advocacy or there's a lot of negative attitudes actually about like nations in the global South, like uh, all their leaders are corrupt and stuff, which is not true. Um, but like, yes, corruption exists just like it exists in our country, just like it exists, you know, in our corporations and it exists abroad, et cetera. So it is a reality. Um, but there are a lot of negative attitudes and that keeps people that had kept a lot of people outside of our campaigning because they just didn't believe in what we we're doing or trust it. But when we did a campaign focused on corruption, it actually opened the door for a lot of people to get involved who otherwise would have stayed back. And so that was really fascinating. Um, and then to see people who were atypical partners in a global advocacy campaign um, get so involved and then have to have, have like get to see some of their ideas um, change so I'm not even now talking about the change that the campaign made, but just the change it made in the lives of people who started engaging and learning. So they got to see that like, oh, some leaders are actually really excellent in Africa, for example. Um, oh, some American corporations are horrific. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Some industries like are funding warlords like extractive industries especially mm -hmm. you know ever you know people probably heard of blood diamonds and, yeah. and these kinds of things um 
so just seeing how people had their notions about the world kind of put through like a, a warp where they just had to wrestle with a lot of assumptions was cool. Um, and then the campaign itself may, had a lot of good achievements around the world, just in increasing transparency. So um, in drawing attention to, to corruption as an issue in, in all the things that come from that. So corruption could be as simple as, you know, a foreign company gets a contract with a nation to develop oil and gas resources. And in doing so, they're going to take away land from people who've lived on it for generations and generations and generations and just displace them for the sake of developing some kind of um, minerals or whatever it is. Well, how do you displace people who've lived somewhere for, you know, generations and generations? You make it look like they don't exist. You draw maps where there's no villages. You draw, you know, so corruption happens in it um, sometimes comes in development even, you know, like, and so just being able to work on a campaign that exposed a lot of those things in a lot of those um, tendencies in certain industries, particularly when it comes to uh, natural resource extraction, that's kind of where we focused because we just saw, oh, this is happening in a lot of places a lot of times. So that exposure was really good um, and it helped encourage some new laws and some new uh, practices and like just accountability to stop that kind of corruption from happening. Man. You know, and I think that's, that's a great example for, to hear you share about because it talks, it, it gets into that issue of attitude change. It, it affects us. It affects human beings. It affects those that are even leading these advocacy campaigns to, to reflect on our own behaviors and the consequences of our behaviors mm -hmm. in terms of purchases and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's a great example for me to hear as well. And I love that definition of advocacy that you have, mm. where uh, it focuses on in on personal change and personal change of attitude um, when it comes to bringing about social change as well. Mm -hmm. So thanks for sharing about that. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to jump in and talk about your new role, fairly new role, right? You've been at it for a couple of years now, I think, with Tier Fund USA. Mm -hmm. um, anyone who is familiar with international NGOs knows about the role that Tier Fund has had around the world. Um, can you share a little bit, a little bit about Tier Fund and what role you play within the organization? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Tier Fund is um, just such a good fit for me, uh, given all that background we just talked about. Mm -hmm. You know, the one partner. I constantly had in all that work in the one organization I always saw uh, wherever I was going in the world and that was always generously lending its expertise, its knowledge, its resources was Tier Fund. And so it was a very good fit for me to land here. Um, and I think part of the reason I love this organization is because the roots of Tier Fund are crisis response, right? So the organization was originally founded responding to a hunger crisis. But over time that evolved into more sustainable partnership and community development with, with local NGOs and local churches, especially. And then tier fund has always had this element of advocating and doing advocacy around the issues that are affecting that work of sustainable development on the ground. And so it's a very holistic approach to poverty. Um, the bulk of the work is community development 
in partnership with local churches and local partners. Uh, but there is an element of, of responding to emergencies. Um, and there is definitely an element of, of, of doing advocacy and mobilizing people to speak out about different global issues that are affecting the poor um, and to enlist people in some behavior change and, and some living differently and, and to do so in a way that's deeply rooted in our faith. Um, and so it is a Christian organization. And my hope is that like a supporter of Tear Fund is so much more than just someone who donates some money. It's someone who gets resource to live differently, who gets ideas on how to live more sustainably, um, how to speak out uh, to our politicians about policies that are impacting global communities. Um, someone who gets resources on how to like walk through this unjust world as a, as a Christian and be like inspired and encouraged in that and given hope. And, and so um, that's, that's tier fund and that's a good fit for me. <laughs> Man, you know, I, yeah. I've, I've been um, accessing tier funds, publications mm-hmm. and toolkits. I think they were referred to for many years now, mm-hmm. uh, including their toolkits on advocacy, on child mm-hmm. protection. Um, and, and so when you talk about the resources that are available to us through tier fund, it, it's really true. And many of our students will, will go and, and use those resources, probably some of the best resources out there, um, in our field of international development come from tier funds. So we're grateful for that and um, how that has sustained my work over the years mm-hmm. as well. And for international development practitioners, there's a whole website, learn.tierfund.org. It just has awesome stuff, real practical things like, you know, how to uh, produce like a water source out of found materials or how to <laughs> really, really practical stuff all the way into Bible studies and things like that. That's really cool. You know, and I, I know that Tier Fund is fairly new here in the mm-hmm. U.S., um, three years or so. Um, many of our students over the years have been doing these analysis projects mm-hmm. on Tier Fund. Uh, mm-hmm. And when they first come into the program, they ask me, who's Tier Fund? Because it has been more of a U.K.-based and global yeah. community, I think, with the headquarters in, in, in the U.K., but mm-hmm. also in New Zealand mm-hmm. and um, Australia and, and around the world. So... So happy to see. And once my students get into the project, looking at what you guys are doing and recognize that you're in, you know, 50 countries around the world, if not more, they're like, this is truly a a global organization. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's nice to have Tier Fund here in the U.S. And and I'll be certainly following your work and and the opportunities that 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 involves. I want to wrap up our time with one final question, Jason. Uh, What sustains you? What gives you hope in your work? I, I know you must have had those moments of discouragement in your in your work, and um, so when the work seems daunting, what encourages what encourages you to keep going? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's been different things, but the single most grounding and hopeful practice for me has been prayer, and. Partly because, you know, it, it's um, there. I find a lot of comfort just in God's presence, but partly because it's an act of remembering that God is is God. I'm not, and my efforts are very simple in in the grand scheme of things, like very small, you know. And prayer has been the practice that reminds me to rest in who God is and the story that that God has been telling since the beginning of time is that he will one day make all things new. Mm. 
And that's where I find my hope. Um, I know that in his kingdom, there will be no more injustice. There will be no more poverty. There will be no more refugees. And so that's completely where I find my hope. And prayer has been the practice that grounds me in remembering that. Man, um, thanks so much for sharing that and giving mm-hmm. us insight into what sustains you in this work. Thank you, Jason. It's been a joy to have you on this podcast. Uh, and thank you, listeners, for joining me today as we dialogue on the tensions and areas uh, of convergence when it comes to thinking about the nexus of development, justice, and peace building. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me.